What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 138 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It's uh, sort of weird now that we're into this regular, you know, weekly schedule. It's the off season, even though there's still baseball happening. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on the podcast, considering the World Series is now upon us. But for the most part, brave stuff, as we always do. And joining me, as often, the great Scott Coleman. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, sir. Thank you for being uh, flexible as well. I have I had a bunch of travel this weekend, and then I had to come back and catch up on Hawk stuff because they're in season, and yeah, there's a lot going on. And uh, as a result, we're recording this a little, little bit later than I probably wanted to on Sunday night, but um, that's that's, that's our recording time. So here we are. October's um, about as good as it gets for sports, just on a like a like World Series, NFL, college, baseballs or. Uh, NBA's back, NHL's back, like everything. College basketball is about to start. Like October is pretty great as far as like a sports fan goes. Oh yeah, it's it's arguably the best. I mean, there 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 are like individual events that I like. Uh, I mean, for, yeah. I, I'm a huge March Madness guy. I always mm-hmm. love that. And there are times of the year where like one event or one sport is in better shape than October for me. But yeah, the confluence of everything. Like, I mean, I was I, I'm a huge NBA guy. Versus, I know you're not really a huge NBA guy, but just having like having that sport now in regular season hockey. If you like that, I'm not a huge hockey guy, but um, it's another sport that is you know kicking off things and baseball is in full swing and football is you know obviously the dominant force that it is so yeah everything's happening at the same time so that's fun uh as a result i mean i mean we'll kind of let's just let's just say this now there's a lot of stuff that we're gonna address during the off season um probably number one of which is free agency i know you put out a mailbag call of sorts and i appreciated that number one but number two I'd say probably what eighty percent of the responses that we got were asking <laughs> about free agency. Um, yeah. We're gonna hold most of that stuff because, frankly, it's a long off season, and if we answered all those questions now, we'd have a lot, not a lot to talk about for a while. So we'll probably touch on it a little bit in this podcast, but we're gonna kind of take our time and unveil our free agency thoughts and big picture stuff, um, sort of as we go here. So just be aware of that, listeners. I promise we'll get to it. Uh, you, you will have no shortage of uh, opinions from myself and Scott and Eric and others about what we want to do in free agency. I promise. But for now, we'll kind of just take things one step at a time. Yeah, it's a long, it's a marathon a sprint. I'm sure we could talk for three hours tonight about all the free agents and everything like that. But oh, as could. you said, I know we could. another <laughs> week or two. There's a fair amount of news this past week, and but you know, give it another week or two, and things really slow down before all the winter meetings get get going. Yeah, we'll, and we'll do it by then, I promise. Um, but there is some news, as you mentioned. We kind of made fun of this last week, Eric and I, uh, how we knew this Snicker extension was going to come you know, 12 hours after we recorded, and that's what happened. Um, so not not a ton of surprise here, really none uh, in the minds of anyone. But Snicker's contract is interesting, I guess, of some note. It's a two-year deal for Snicker to come back as a team, um, as a team's manager, plus a team option for 2021. I am on record. It's kind of funny, like, I think some uh, people were coming back at me for what I had said, you know, previously a year or two ago about Snickers' contract. I stand by the fact that um, they get, they should have given him a real contract when they hired him. That's something that really bothered me at the time that they gave him this like weird one plus one contract that was just that just showed no faith in him. And then last year, even even more comically so, they just picked up his option, and that's something you just don't see. Managers managers don't really operate like that very often, where they just don't have a contract beyond that season. And I thought the Braves should have treated him better. Like my thoughts on Snicker are very much well documented tactically, but for a guy that everybody loves, they didn't really treat him very well contractually, in my opinion. Um, so yeah. I was at least nice to see that they gave him a real contract this time around, and they didn't try to like give him some like one plus one again. At least have you know two guaranteed years and, and the club option, which is a pretty you know normal contract. So that's kind mm-hmm. of all I wanted to say on it. But I'm, I'm sure maybe you have some thoughts on the uh, on the duration or something like that on Snicker. Yeah, I'm the same way. It seems it seems fairly standard. There's no need to sign managers for you know six year contracts and all that, and potentially cost yourself some money if if the next couple of years don't go well. And I think everyone knows what Snit's done for the organization, and and when he's been around for 40 years, uh, as you said, they did kind of weirdly treat his contract. Some of that might have been him having minimal experience at the big league level. Uh, whenever he took over for Freddie a few years ago, but I'm cool with it. We talked off air before before this. I mean, as soon as the Braves made the playoffs, Snit was coming back, and and frankly, he deserves yes. to. I mean, to write that press release of you know 40 year employee has best year ever 
colon is fired uh it just doesn't just doesn't write very well it was well, not gonna, so. it was not it was not gonna happen we, we all knew yeah. it so that's why it's like we made fun of it last week too but this is it's really a foregone conclusion and you're, you're just saying it because we have to talk about it but we yeah. all knew the deal here it was Snicker mm-hmm. was going to be coming back unless he decided he didn't want to honestly and by the, by the end of the season it was very clear he wanted to be the manager the players wanted him back the front office as you mentioned even if they wanted to move on they kind of can't at this point mm-hmm. in time so uh give them the real investment, which is my whole thing. And I do understand the weirdness factor of just the whole way it, it unfolded prior to the season. You know, when he, when he was brought on, he was interim guy. They performed well. The players liked him. They went to bat for him. He got hired. Then they gave him the weird contract, and then the, the front office changed. And it wasn't like, you know, you don't come in as late as it happened to and change managers. Like, mm. they weren't going to come in and fire Snicker immediately on arrival. And then, of course, he has this fantastic season in year one of the Anthopolis era. So, like, it's been a very weird path. But now, like, he has the he has the body of work where, again, as, as you mentioned, as, as, as a lot of people have said, there was no way he was not going to come back. So go ahead and give him the real contract, and uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. But that was kind of a foregone conclusion. Yeah, and good for him, man. I mean, he's yeah. the fact that he's been with the organization for so long and just seeing him get choked up after they clinched and everything, and, and really throughout the year, he, he deserved to be brought back. And nothing, we're not saying anything revolutionary when you or I say that we aren't the biggest fans of, of how Snit handles a game, but you can do far worse. And, and I think the Braves made the right decision, and, and hopefully the next couple of years they're able to build and uh, he's able to get rewarded for, for being in the organization for so long. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, that one thing that actually did change is that Chuck Hernandez, the pitching coach, is out. Um, everybody else is back. We talked about this a little bit last week, and uh, Eric thought that it was possible, at least, that both guys would change over between Seitzer um, and Hernandez. And it only being Hernandez, he was the one that I think everyone was kind of assuming. If you read the tea leaves from the beat writers and all that stuff leading up to the end of the season, he was the one that seemed to be most on the hot seat, and he's the one that's not going to be coming back. Um, no plan at this point has been unveiled as to who's going to replace Hernandez. But um, given all of the weirdness with walks and all that stuff, it wasn't a big surprise to anyone that Hernandez is not back. Um, a, were you okay with that um, moving on? And B, you know, not having someone sort of queued up to hire is not a big deal. But what do you make of like the sort of limbo that they're in now? He was clearly the guy to let go if if they were going to make a change, just stemming from a handful of things. I think first and foremost the walks, and it was really a chronic issue all year long, and. That's going to fall on on a pitching coach. If it's a pitcher or two, then you you kind of blame blame the player. But when everybody is walking guys at an alarming rate uh, all year long, that's something you have to address. Um, uh, they don't seem to be in any real rush to hire a pitching coach, nor should they. Whether it's somebody who's working in the majors right now in the minors, uh, somebody who hasn't been a pitching coach previously, I think they'll look at uh, just about all their options. Um, and hopefully they are able to get somebody who relates to the young pitchers and, and and it's an easy job to recruit for just given all the young talent they have, uh, both at the major league level and and in the minors. So, um, I know one thing that, that stuck out to me was Anthopoulos in his postseason press conference was talking, um, the desire for a pitching coach who could use analytics a little bit better to develop a game plan to better attack opposing hitters. Uh, that might have been something that that Hernandez wasn't super familiar with, and I think Anthopoulos hinted at that a little bit. Um, so having that person, as, as so many teams are doing now, that is more familiar with the analytical side of the game can can use those numbers and use them to their advantage and develop game plans a little bit better um, is something I'd like to see. And, and I'm sure with uh, the emphasis the front office has placed on that over the last year since taking over, I'm sure it's somebody they'll they'll bring in. Yeah, and again, I mean – the walks, it's too simple to say that, you know, the walks are all pitching coach. Like, there there are, you know, prior to Hernandez and the guys on the roster, there are players on this roster that had walking problems far, far beyond the pitching coach. But um, that's mm-hmm. an obvious thing to circle, to be honest. Like, you know, Sean Newcomb has been walking guys forever. That's not a Chuck Hernandez problem. Um, but there are other guys on this team that didn't, I don't think, um, pitch optimally. And I think you can kind of attribute that. It's always tough from the outsider's perspective, especially. But even insiders, like... It's always tough to figure out how much the pitching coach matters. Like, he, I mean, it matters, but like in terms of individual pitchers, like how do you, for instance, like Julio Tehran, like how do you credit that? Like how do you break that down? But for a guy who's been around forever, but you know, lost some of his stuff, and he walked a lot of guys this year, but had a, had this great batting average against, and it's it's just kind of hard to figure out how much of that is attributable to the pitching coach. Whereas you know, also Mike Fultonavich is like now like an ace like pitcher. 
does Hernandez get credit for that? It's like, I don't know, it's kind of always funny to talk about these position mm-hmm. coaches because, you know, managers, you can see what they do to some degree tactically in a game. We have no idea what Chuck Hernandez is doing for the most part. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, yeah. Just, it's, it's always tough to discuss. Yeah. And it's, it's easier to fire coaches than it is players. And, and sure. obviously, uh, and, and we'll see, they might, they kind of left the door open if, if Chuck Hernandez is open to returning to the organization in a different role, obviously, whether it's a, an aide in the front office or a minor league instructor or something like that. Uh, he's, he's a guy who's been around for a long time and, and certainly knows the, uh, knows the guys, but I'm with you. I think most people were in favor of a change there, uh, for better or worse. I think it's, it's worth taking a chance and hopefully uh, getting somebody who can elevate some of these young pitchers and, and help take them to the next level. Yep, and when that hire is made, we'll talk more about it. Hopefully, we have sort of a body of work. Um, if it's like a first-time pitching coach, we'll have to kind of fly by the seat of our pants and go why what is said. But uh, if we have if they hire someone who has um, some experience at the big league level, we'll kind of break that down a little bit more as we get going here through the winter. Um, so elsewhere, I mean, the payroll stuff. We keep talking about this. It's like a third week, third week in a row. I think we talked about payroll, um, projected payroll, all that, all, that, all that fun stuff. But Anthopoulos did at least address it um, this week, at least early in the week when he did the press conference and all that stuff. Um, Mark Bowman is, seems to be closer to where we've been on these numbers, like fifty, sixty million in available capital, whereas Dave O'Brien and others have kind of been a little bit lower. Um, regardless, everyone kind of agrees the payroll is going to be going up. It's just kind of how much will it go up and how much um, is actually actually, you know, quote unquote, available to spend once you factor in all the raises and, you know, arbitration, and all that fun stuff. So, I mean, without getting too deep into it, we, we talked a little bit about this last week and Thoughtless's comments weren't clear. Like he's never going to give the real numbers, honestly, but he was, he said, he did say plainly the payroll is going to go up. And if you factor that in with how much payroll is coming off the books this year, they're going to have some money to spend. That's kind of the, mm-hmm. that's, that's the that's the simple version. How much is up for debate, but I mean, it's at least encouraging to hear him say on the record in front of microphones, payroll is going to go up, and mm-hmm. you know, especially when I, you know the 2018 payroll for all for much of it was kind of dead money. The payroll was not; it wasn't high by MLB standards now, but it was high by re, high by recent Brave standards. Like yeah. they spent some money this year, so to say to say that's going to go up is encouraging, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's, I think it's so easy to get fixated on a number, you know, is it going to be one, 140 or is it going to be 150? Is it going to be 130? I think it's easy to focus on a single number, but really you have to keep in mind not only what the opening day payroll is, but then how much they had during the year. I mean, to the Braves credit, uh, they went out in their, in their mid season editions of Gosman and, uh, Darren O'Day, who of course didn't pitch and, Duvall and they had to pay him. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, and it came out to seven or eight million dollars, which is not a, a small amount of money. Um, so again, and, and Anthopoulos talked about this a little bit. He doesn't even know the exact number yet. No one really knows the exact number. And even if they have a you know imaginary number that they're going to hit, um, then they may not necessarily try to hit that number as of April 1st, 2019, they can save some for mid season acquisitions, which is always good. You, you want to have that flexibility mid season. Um, and even if, even if there's not a great fit, you don't want to spend money just to spend. If it's going to require a two or three year commitment, you don't want to start handicapping uh, and handcuffing teams in future years because, Hey, we had an extra $9 million to spend this winter. Let's just spend it to spend it. So encouraging to hear him say, uh, you know, he didn't come out and say, no, we want to cut money like a handful of teams have said already. Um, but again, just having that flexibility will be nice and it should make for a fun, a fun next couple months. For sure. And again, we talked about that a lot, so we could kind of leave it there. I just wanted at least to address it since he did say it on the record in front of microphones on Monday. So uh, here we go with that. There'll be plenty more where that came from. Um, two other bits of actual news this week. Well, at least, you know, one's news and the other is you know, reported speculation, but the first one is actual news and that Mike Soroka uh, apparently appeared uh, in a couple of instructional, instructional league games this week. Uh, he told the athletic that his shoulder is feeling good. You know, shoulders are always really kind of weird to evaluate. You know, it's, you almost rather it be the elbow, honestly, because elbow is kind of, I mean, it's not foolproof, but everyone kind of knows what the deal is with, with Tommy John. You just have it and then you'll see what happens afterwards. But shoulder is really kind of funny and Soroka's Shoulder is worrisome. You know, he's a guy that we all love. I know Eric has been fl- waving the flag on Mike Soroka for a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he's been very good when he's pitched. It's just a situation where he hasn't been super healthy. So what do you make of that? I know it's tough to kind of gauge 
what a guy will look like coming off of a, off of a shoulder injury, but this is probably as good of news as you can expect to get in, I don't know, October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounded like Mike was feeling good. And anytime, as you said, anytime you shut down a young pitcher with shoulder issues, you, you really do kind of hold your breath because it's it's just kind of a can of worms compared to needing elbow surgery, which is obviously not a good thing either, but that's a little more standard and uh, more common, of course. So um, good to hear. It sounded like Soroka even hinted, and who knows if this is just him or if if the Braves' medical staff shares this opinion, but it sounded like if they were desperate for a pitcher or two in September, he probably could have worked his way back. Uh, but obviously, because they called up Tukey and Wright and Wilson, and, and the they had some starting rotation depth, there just wasn't a need to push him and risk injuring, injuring that shoulder again. So good to hear. It's even though he just made five or six starts. It's clear that Soroka has the stuff and, and the makeup to be a really successful uh, starter in the major leagues, and, and he's somebody who I think could really uh, help swing the pendulum if the Braves are going to have another successful year next year. They need him to be healthy and have the shoulder be right and, and make 20 to 30 starts. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see, but as long as if he's if he's the same guy he was this year in his brief stint, and obviously his pedigree as well, Soroka is someone who could certainly be in a rotation all season long if he is ready to go and healthy. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure you ha- you can write him in and pen for the rotation. That's one of those things where you have the Braves as of this moment do have other options. Um, you know, with Fulte's the only absolute dead bang lock, and then you have a, you have all these other options, whether it be Tehran still in the organization right now and Newcomb and. You know, all these other Gosman obviously is probably a lock as well, we have to say. But, uh, you know, it's just Soroka. I think if I was trying to win a game today and he was healthy, he's the guy of the young pitchers who we know the most about because of his, you know, he's more, he's more polished, I would say, than some of the other guys. And we <laughs> saw him do it at the major league level. Maybe he and Max Free would be the two that you say you have to, that they would know the most about at this moment. They were trying to go, go, go win a game today with one of the youngsters. Um, but Soroka is someone that we all, we've always liked. So hopefully that works out very well because he's very talented and good, honestly. So yeah, yeah. That's probably enough on that. Um, last sort of, I guess, legitimate news item um, comes from Nick Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe, and he mentioned we talked about this a little bit on TalkingChop.com um, over the weekend. But um, Cafardo mentions that Patrick Corbin, the uh, Diamondbacks' lefty starter, who's uh, available now in free agency, uh, the Braves are among on, on the list of teams that he reported that might have some interest in Patrick Corbin. Um, you know, this is a free agency thing that I almost want to hold, but because the Braves were tied to him specifically today, let's, yeah. let's just talk about this now. Because Corbin, as I think you tweeted about on Sunday or Saturday, was, was just awesome for most of the season. So uh, he, yeah. he's he's been very intriguing, and, and and honestly, might be the number one potentially attainable starting pitcher on the market as a free agent. Mm. Because you know, I guess Kershaw might be a free agent, but I don't think he's coming to Atlanta. So I, might no. just, I, think, okay. I think Corbin's number one on the list. Yeah, I think so. And and he's he was one of the best pitchers in baseball last year. Um, he had a little bit of a rough patch in May, but after May, he was, I mean, I think you can make an argument that as of June 1st, he was maybe the best pitcher in baseball, which is pretty crazy when you think of him and his name. But uh, look at the stats. He struck out uh, something like 128 in his last 100 innings and an ERA below two, just just a phenomenal pitcher um, and, and only 29 years old. He's not he's not old. Uh, which is something you always worry about in free agency. But as you said, I mean, he's going to be connected to the Braves. I never know. With Cafardo, he writes the weekly articles, and I never know. He's not like a like a Ken Rosenthal or a Jeff Passan, where if they say it, it's you know there's actual traction to it. I'm not saying that Cafardo makes stuff up, um, but he's always been known to just kind of throw a bunch of names that stick. Obviously, the Braves have a lot of money to spend, and they could use a frontline starter. And Corbin fits that mold. And you know, it's not hard to connect the dots. I don't know if this is more of just connecting the dots, or if if there really might be something there to it. So, um, fun to talk about. Corbin is very good, and I'm sure, like many teams, the Braves are going to have interest. Um, as always with free agency, it just comes down to weighing the risk and the reward and and the dollars at the end of the at the end of the day. For sure, and I mean, listen, Corbin isn't like this spotless track track record track record guy. Um, yeah. You know, he's been obviously was very good as you mentioned this year. He was you know elite this year, I will say. Um, last year was pretty solid. You know, a three win pitcher according to Fangraphs, but an ERA around four um, instead of you know around three or lower. Um, 
And then previous to that, he had some injury stuff. So, like, he missed all of 2014 with injury and part of 2015 with injury. Since then, you know, 2016, he had a really rough season, about a 5, I guess, you know, 5 one five ERA. So, pretty uh, pretty inconsistent and not great there. But before the injury and back in 2013, which is a long time ago, he was like a 3.5-4-1 pitcher. So... He has some. He does have more success than you might think. Um, I think that I, some people at least have painted him as like this one-year wonder, which he's not really that. Like this has been his breakout. So I'm not sure if you want to be paying for the six-win pitcher that he was this year. That may not be mm-hmm. realistic moving forward. He might be. He might be this now. I mean, it's 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 at least in play based on how good he was. But yeah, it's always about cost-benefit analysis. Like you know, is he is he going to be able to do that? 29 is not super old, but it's also not super young. And that's the thing with free agency that teams are scared of is that, you know, you're paying a pitcher, number one, um, and number two, you're, you're paying a guy into his, you know, low to mid-30s, which isn't, you know, over the hill by any means, but always some risk there involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a bidding war against teams that um, Cafardo mentioned, like that have deep pockets, might get ugly. You don't want to probably be bidding against the Yankees and the Dodgers about pitchers. Um, no. that's That's tough. Um, but you know, at the same time, if you get the guy that you got this year, it's uh, a very, very devastating pitcher. So, I mean, Patrick Corbin would be the best. This version of Patrick Corbin would be the best pitcher on the staff. Like he was better than Fulty this year, which is mm-hmm. that says that says a lot. So, at the very least, having that guy on your team would make you better. But you know, it's all about it's all about the investment because of the fact that the Braves wanted to rebuild with pitching. There's this notion out there that like they don't need to go sign a starter. And I don't know if that's true. Like, I think if you want to win big in 2019, um, they're going to need someone from outside the organization in the rotation. That's my opinion. Um, I, th- I, mean, I think long term, yeah, you have enough arms, and we'll talk about some of those arms here in, here in a bit on the podcast. I think I think long term, you might have enough arms to to work out the rotation to where like if they all you know if half of them or less pop, you're in great shape mm-hmm. for 2019. I do think you probably need somebody that's more established. Like I can't imagine you going in as a legitimate, you know, I think the Braves will be picked to make the playoffs next year. Um, and if you say that, um, you don't want to go into a season with, you know, Mike Fultonavich, Kevin Gosman, and a bunch of guys you're not really super, super thrilled about. You know what I mean? Like you kind of need yeah. one more guy that you really know is going to be good. And that may not be Corbin, but it may be Corbin. I'm with you, and I think you nailed it with the the 2019 versus two or three years down the road, and that's that's ultimately the free agency risk and reward. I mean, yeah, he might really make the team a lot better the next two or three years, but if you have to sign him to a five or six year deal, you know what is Pat what's Patrick Corbin look like in 2022? And no one knows. Maybe he's maybe he's just as good. Maybe he gets hurt again. He's already had Tommy John, uh, which isn't the worst thing in the world that he's already had it. Um, his velocity did dip a little bit this past year, though we actually got better. Uh, Fangraphs had a great write-up on him that as his velocity slowed a little bit, he actually got better just with his use of a curveball. And it's, it's a worthwhile read, especially if uh, it does seem like the Braves are seriously going to pursue him. Um, but again, as, as we've said, an interesting guy nonetheless. And whenever you have the Yankees and the Dodgers, and, and I'm sure everybody else interested in him, he's not going to be cheap. But as you said, if if he's able to repeat what he did this last year, he would be. I mean, he was a legitimate ace last year, one of the best fifteen twenty pitchers in baseball. So, one of the many names with the Braves having this kind of cash to spend, I'm sure they'll be linked to, and and we'll have conversations with. Absolutely, and that's probably a good place to leave that, uh, at least for now. But sort of a bridge into what we we're talking about a second ago um, with the young pitchers. I do want to ask you. We got a couple of questions about prospects. Um, one from Ryan Boy that asks us which of the top 10 or 15 guys on the roster would you keep and which would you be comfortable trading? And another sort of similar question from Adam Johnson um, asking which prospects that we think are untradeable um, or untouchable at this point in time. Now that you know Acuna's out of the prospect mix and Ozzy's not a prospect anymore, those guys are on the team. Um, this is interesting because most of the top 10 or 15 guys in the system right now are pitchers, according to most of the rankings. There are a couple of hitters, obviously, you know, Austin Riley, Christian Pache are the two that are also are most frequently discussed. But considering we were just talking about, you know, the pitching depth for the future, a lot of these guys are pitchers. So what? how would you answer this question? I think it's interesting to talk yeah. about in that, you know, Acuna was like, we all knew was not going to be traded. Like he was untouchable. He was the one guy 
since this podcast has existed that was like nope hmm. not happening we all knew yeah. it it was basically no like if, yeah it's basically mike trout was the list of people that you would trade ronald acuna for like um and that's and even now i'm not sure you would do that which is kind no, of no but the contracts and all that no right way. that's what i'm saying i mean obviously you know trout is a better is a better player <laughs> two right years now. ago sure but yeah. uh trout at making a lot more money and with free agency coming um you probably wouldn't even do that which is again crazy to think about but yeah. regardless um he was the one guy we kind of knew was untradeable and now it's a different conversation to where the Braves have a lot of have a lot of very very good prospects but nobody's in that class so how would you you know how do you view this question sort of as a overall theme yeah it's a good question and, and i think we could certainly sit here and rank you know the top 10 or 12 pitching prospects in the organization and rank them one through 10, one through 12 and, and come up with a list. And honestly, I don't think there's a ton of separation right now between the top and the middle. Um, and, and to me, I don't really see anybody in the organization as untouchable or untradeable right now in the right deal. Of course, you're not actively just giving these guys away. Uh, but because of, of the pure depth, I mean, even if you, even if you swung a big deal and included, let's say Kyle Wright, um, Colby Allard and Bryce Wilson in, in a major deal, right? You still have Soroka, you have Tukey, you have Gahar, you have Wentz, you have Muller, you have, uh, I mean, Ian Anderson. You, you have so many names that you can afford to lose two or three. And I know people get so attached to prospects, and with reason, they can be really good for you. Uh, we've all seen how being patient with with Fulte has has come back to really benefit the Braves. Um, but at the end of the day, the reason why you acquire all these prospects is so you can eventually use them to trade away and acquire more outside talent, to acquire better talent, frankly. So I don't really see anyone as, as untouchable. If, if I had my choice, I would work a big deal around the pitching prospects because – as I said 30 seconds ago, there's just so many of them compared to you only have maybe four or five offensive prospects that you feel good about making the major leagues one day. But um, if if a team comes calling and it's the right deal, it's hard to imagine, you know, Tukey Toussaint necessarily being uh, a deal breaker when you purely have, you know, 10 other guys who, who could – uh, who could come and, and do a nice job for you in the rotation for years to come. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. It's, it's a tough question to answer just because you're obviously not talking uh, specific names for, for who you'd be getting back. But um, because of the pure numbers game with the pitchers, I wouldn't get overly attached to any of them just because you have you have so many in the system right now. Yeah, that's a good way to answer that. And I do think, you know, no one is untouchable in the system or even close, honestly, at this point in time. Like maybe six months from now, like if Austin Riley is just incredible, but pitchers, it, the bar is so high for pitching prospects to be on that like untouchable level mm-hmm. that it just really, really happens. Like you got to be super elite as a pitching prospect to not be tradable, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and the Braves have a bunch of guys who could be that, um, but they're not right now. Like, at least for me. I mean, maybe Eric thinks differently, and I'm happy to ask him about that on a future episode because, you know, I again, I, as I always say, I'm not the prospect guru by any means, but you read our, our guys who do this stuff all the time, and I don't think they're, that, they're, that they're really discussing our, any of these pitching prospects as, like, you know, untouchable, super-duper elite guys. Um, so we'll see, but, yeah, I'm kind of with you that no none of these guys are off the table for me. You want you want to pick your spots. I wouldn't be trying to trade any of these top ten guys for you know second tier starting position players. But if you're trying to get like a legitimately you know top tier guy to position, and we'll talk about one of those guys here in a second. Um, that's sort of the last thing we talk talk about on the podcast. But I mean, if you're trying to tra- cash in chips for like real impact players, then that's what you have to do. Like eventually, <laughs> you know, fans want impact players, and if you want to trade for them, these are the guys you're going to have to trade. You're not going to get an all-star caliber player for guys, you know, 16 through 30 in your system. You're going to have mm-hmm. to, you have to trade multiple top 10 guys in your system to get any of those players. So yeah. that's just kind of how this works. And um, it was perfectly illustrated by the last thing we'll talk about, but yeah, just, just to address this before we move on the untradeable thing, nobody's untradeable. And the guys who I'm comfortable trading is everyone. <laughs> I mean, they're, yeah. they're guys I have personal preference on. Like I've always been super high on Tukey. I think he probably is my favorite of this group in terms of just sure. combining upside and everything else. But that's just me being personal preference. Like, Eric, mm-hmm. who's more informed, is going to have a different opinion than I am, and you are, and it just kind of comes down to that. But 
Anthopoulos is, I'm sure he has his list in his head of guys who he want to trade in order <laughs> and that mm-hmm. sure. kind of all that matters. But yeah, we'll see. Well, and you think over just the last 12 months of all those names you listed off, you know, compare where Luis Gohara's stock was a year ago when he had that fantastic September compared to where it is now. Think about where Colby Allard was a year ago compared to where he is right now. Not that those guys are finished prospects and they have no chance and they can't get better or have a future in the major leagues, but just in 12 months, you've seen just kind of the prospect, the prospect shine fall off of them. Even Mike Soroka, uh, with the shoulder injury, his I would argue that his stock is down. Um, guys can increase their stock, of course, too. You look at what Bryce Wilson did last year, Ian Anderson, uh, Wright, and Tukey had the great year. Uh, but with pitching prospects, it's purely just such a volatile game that you just hope that you pick the right guys and you trade away the, the right ones as well. And um, that's, as you said, a big decision for Anthopolis to make and, and one that will, frankly, very likely happen uh, at some point this winter. Yeah, I mean, somebody's, somebody's going to get dealt, I, I would imagine, and we'll talk about it's like, we'll talk about this, about this more when it actually transpires. Um, so there is there is one name that, I mean, I told you guys we were going to hold off for the most part, but there's one guy that was making the rounds this week in a big way as a potential Braves target. It's not a new name. Uh, we talked about him before, but JT Realmuto of the Marlins, the catcher, um, and because of what Mark Bowman was speculating, and I guess you uh, ran a poll as well, and I, I want you to share with people. But Bowman mm-hmm. was talking about you know a theoretical package for Real Muto because uh, he was sort of the guy that was most asked about, and Bowman is of course very very plugged in. You know, again, this is a guy we talked about before, but he's a perfect example of someone who's going to take multiple of your top seven or eight prospects to get because he's under control. He's not that old. He's very, very good, etc. And this is the kind of guy the Braves fans want, and he's a very popular name. So, I mean, just in general, how do you feel about the pursuit of him? And, you know, Bowman's package um, drew a lot of, um, you know, reactions on both sides. I thought it was perfectly reasonable and kind of what you would see for someone like Real Muto. But in typical fan fashion, half the fans thought it was too much, half the fans thought it was too little, and uh, here we are. Yeah, so in the poll I ran, uh, I think over two days, uh, 1,500 people voted, and his proposal was uh, Mike Soroka, Austin Riley, and then a lesser-name prospect, so more of a fill-in variety for Real Muto, who signed for two more years. And of the 1,500 people who voted, I think it was 52 to 48 uh, no, which is crazy just from the sense of how split people were. And I had people respond to it as, yes, absolutely. Soroka has shoulder problems. Riley strikes out too much. I'd make that deal 10 times out of 10. And then you had other people who said, absolutely not. Riley's the third baseman of the future. Soroka has the best combination of floor and upside in the system. I would never make that trade. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see with, with a lot of any proposed deals or, or honestly any any deals that do happen. Um, people are going to be split on on trading the prospects. Uh, personally, if, if that's similar to what the cost would be, I'm interested. Though, of course, again, it's, it's just Mark Bowman's speculation. Obviously, Bowman is keyed in and, and probably has a good feel. Um, I'm a huge fan of Real Muto. I've, I've been a big fan of his. I was hoping they would get him last winter whenever the Marlins were trading everybody off. Uh, of course, they didn't, and, and he went on to have his best year yet. Um, because he's only signed for two more years, and with catchers, you just never know when they're going to fall off. Uh, I, I don't think the asking price, or at least the Braves wouldn't meet an astronomical asking price. Um, but as you said, because of how good he is, he's he's the best catcher in baseball. He's been the best, be- best catcher in baseball for two or three years now. Um, he's 27, 28, uh, a freak athlete, somebody who should, in theory, age better than most. Um, I would happily give up a couple of the top prospects for him. Um, he's, he's a very, very good player and somebody who would immediately make the Braves a better team the next two seasons. So, um, the Braves won't be the only team interested in him either. Uh, and that's probably going to help drive up the cost, but, um, I'm sure he is one of the, the most obvious names that'll be circulated over the next couple months. Yeah. I mean, in general, let me say this, the package that was floated by Bowman, um, you, <laughs> Here's my stance. If you say you want JT Real Muto, you can't say no to that trade. You know what I mean? Just because that's what it's going to take. Like, that that's kind of where I am. Like, if you don't, I mean, if you don't prioritize him, I'm totally okay with thinking that it's too much because of the fact that he's a catcher, because of the uncertainty with that. Um, you know, it's two years. He's, he'll be 28 in, 20, he'll be 28 in March. That's not that young. Like, 
I have my reservations about Real Muto as a prospect, but they kind of don't have anything not not a prospect as, as a player as a player acquisition. But it's not because of him; it's because of the position. It's catcher, and it's all the weirdness with that. There's just very, very, very few guys who are still elite into their 30s or at least close to 30, and he's getting there. But if you, on one hand, say that you want the Braves to target him, this is the like. It may not be the exact package, but there's just no way it's going to be less than this. You know what I mean? Like it's just not. So <laughs> it's a it's a weird spot where fans fans are fans and they want everything for nothing, and I I totally get that. But uh, this is kind of what it's going to be. I mean, if you if you want a guy like Real Muto, you're going to have to pay up for him. Um, and if it's not Riley and Soroka, it's Pache and Wright or something else. You know what I mean? It's going to have <laughs> to be two. Two or three guys. I mean, the Marlins. There's a reason they haven't traded him. It's because he's their best asset, and you know, I think they don't. I think they're going to want the moon, like, and rightfully so. Like, he's very, very good at baseball. So, and for me, having an elite catcher is not as valuable as having an elite player somewhere else. And that's kind of where my issue falls. Like, there's certainly a price where I would be willing to pay it for Real Muto because he is that good, but. There's just the impact of a, of a of a catcher is just lesser. They're not playing every single day in the way mm. that a guy is elsewhere, and the sure. Braves already have. They've already proven that they can get solid production for very little cost. The catcher, and they have Tyler Flowers signed for a year and all that stuff. Like obviously, you're not, you're not, the, the presence of Tyler Flowers is going to stop them from trading for Real Muto or adding somebody else. But I would be wary as like my, my one big splash move to go get a catcher. That's just mm-hmm. my personal feeling. Sure. But again, like if they pulled out, if they, if they called, if they announced this move right now, which, which they really can't do, but if, if they announced this move right now, I would be fine with it. I wouldn't be over the moon with it because of the fact that I have my reservations, but this is the appropriate value for a guy at Real Muto, like two really good top 80 prospects in baseball, and that's kind of what you're gonna get. I mean, it's 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 fine. But my thing is, you can't talk about how he's your number one target and then be like, nope, can't do this deal. Like it's one or the other. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think too, with he's a he's a difference maker at a position where it's hard to find difference makers. I mean, you think Absolutely about right. truly yeah. elite catchers. Even now, I mean, okay, Yadier Molina, good player now, was an elite catcher, you know, in his prime. Buster Posey. Uh, who else? I mean, who else year to year is 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 the best of the best, and and it's really well, there it's aren't any. I mean, even those guys now, like those guys now, are not mm-hmm. that. Like it's like Real Muto is, as you mentioned, I think was the best the best catcher in baseball this season. Mm-hmm. And By a mile, yeah. There really aren't a ton of which is again. And by the way, it's kind of funny. You can make arguments on both sides, but that's also the reason that I wouldn't do this. The marginal value is really big. But you just don't need a you don't need that guy a catcher. You know what I mean? Mm. Like th- sure. there's really there's huge value in having it because nobody else does. But that's one of the arguments that I've been making forever about the Braves. Like with Flowers and Suzuki, it's not been flashy, it's not been super exciting or sexy. But the last two years, if you tell me that they do exactly what those guys are going to do for the cost they're going to do it, I'll take that every single time. Like mm-hmm. it's just great value and like. I know there are shortcomings with, with Flowers and Suzuki, and it's not going to be that combination forever, and maybe not even in 2019. But that's the argument against this: is that you've been able to cobble together like real, you know, top 10 catcher production in the league for like six million dollars a year. Sure. And it's like yeah, that's kind of right. it's not foolproof at all. By the way, like Flowers could be you know kind of washed up at this point, or Suzuki is even older and like even at work, but. The fact that you can do that and the replacement level around the league at catcher, like there are 15 teams in the league that just have nothing at catcher. It's like yeah. it's like staggering how bad catcher is. So I see the other side, though. Like what you're saying is that if you have a guy who is actually elite there, it's a massive advantage. So I get mm-hmm. it on both sides. Yeah, as with all players, there's there's a price and you, you're willing to meet it. And then all of a sudden they ask for somebody else and, and you're not. I mean, we heard last last winter. I would have given any prospect in the system. I would have given, I would have probably given Miami a list of all the Braves prospects other than Acuna <laughs> and said, pick three for Christian Yelich. And I think I would have said yes. And, and now oh, I mean, that was, yes, you're absolutely, we it, talked about this on the spot guy. And I, we actually got yelled at a couple of times for like saying like this blasphemous statement that we would include like Albies or we would include like their top guys. And people got really mad at us. And it's like, Hey guys, 
Christian Yelich is awesome. Like even before this year, it was like kind of a no brainer. And we were like, why, why are you yelling at us? He's awesome. Like this mm-hmm. is the elite guy that you want and he's young and all that stuff. Like this is, these are the guys you go trade for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So I think with, with Real Mito, you, you never know what Miami's going to do because their off season was such a mess last year. Maybe they've learned, maybe they haven't. Um, you would hope that they would bring down their demands a little bit. Cause yeah, if they said, yeah, for Real Muto, it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you Albies, uh, Wright and Riley. Well, well then you no. laugh and you hang up the yeah. phone because you're not going to do that. I, I like the guy, but I don't like him that much. Um, and, and as you said, there's other affordable options out there at catcher that you can, that can hold you over for, for 2019. Um, but there, I, I think eventually there's going to come a time where, where Anthopolis is going to unload uh, a couple of top prospects for a guy that he wants. And uh, it's going to sting because we've, we've enjoyed watching these young prospects grow over the last three or four years in this rebuild. But again, that that's why you collect all these prospects is to eventually trade some of them to, to better your club in areas where they can get better. Yeah, it's a good way to put that. And probably somewhere we can leave it. It's just something, if you're going to trade for someone, whether it be Real Muto or someone we haven't thought about yet or somebody else, like it's going to cost... It's going to cost an amount that a lot of fans are going to be uncomfortable with because that's just what we've been saying. I mean, we, I mean we, we've been doing this for two years now, um, back to copy and just trying to evaluate this kind of like, you know, addition moves versus these, the rebuilding moves were easy. Like copy did, did a great job with a lot of those, like selling off veterans for prospects is kind of the easy part. The, the reverse is harder, honestly, like the accumulation of like adding prospects into a trade for guys who are going to help you now is a little bit more challenging and perilous because you can overpay and it's tough, but you're going to have to pay up. And I guarantee you, and I think we talked about this enough to where the minute they trade for one of these guys, whether it be real, real Muto or whoever else, 40% of the fan base is going to be furious in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, and that doesn't mean they're right. But it's just a situation, it's going to be polarizing. I mean, and that's the thing with the rebuild is that we've all fallen in love with these prospects. And I think you and I realize that it's going to take some of them to get the guys you want. But mm-hmm. picking the right ones is tough, number one, which is, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I don't envy Anthopolis or anybody else. Like, you can make a move and have, if, if that guy pops, you know, ask um, the Mark, the Mark Teixeira trade, uh, for instance, like you know, or Adam Wainwright, former former Rays prospects that ended up popping once once they left. That can be brutal. But if you don't do it and those guys don't pop, it can be brutal the other way. Especially now that you're a legitimate contender, because as we saw, it's a 91 baseball team this year. It's time. Mm-hmm. Like there's no more. There's no more like future facing at this point. Like being responsible is important because you want to make this this window very very long and you want to be smart and future conscious but there's no like looking ahead of 2020 now you know what i mean it's like yeah. 2019 is all the fan base is going to care about that's that's the price of winning early is that now there's no more like lenience for not doing as well <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like mm-hmm. all that stuff's out the window 2019 for the, for better or worse the fan base is going to expect you to do what you did this year and more in 2019 so yeah. that's just the reality at this point yeah, it's going to be fun. It, it will be a nice change of like trying to trade all of your assets as compared to this winter trying to gain as many assets as you can yeah. because the Braves clearly have a chance to do something special the next couple of years with the young core. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I was just thinking the other day how uh, as the World Series, I think it was uh, last night actually, as the Dodgers uh, won the won the championship series. It's you know, hey, it's uh, the off season is two weeks away, and not that in that first week. There's going to be six gigantic moves made, but uh, there's a lot of holes to fill and, and a lot of areas to address, and it should be uh, it should be a really fun offseason. For sure. Uh, as you mentioned the World Series there, one more thing before we get out of here. I need your official World Series pick because, uh, fortunately, this is landing. This podcast is landing at a time where we don't we don't know what's going to happen in the World Series yet. And mm. I know a lot of Braves fans just watch the Braves and don't really care, but there are a lot of Braves fans also that watch the league. And the series starts on Tuesday. It's Dodgers Red Sox. Um, the Red Sox are a small favorite in the betting world because they have home field, and of course they were really good this year. But the Dodgers are probably the one National League team that matches up with them pretty reasonably well. So, what do you make of this series mm. without going too deep on it? I think it's going to be an awesome series. Um, I worry a little bit about about Boston's starting rotation. Um, not that the Dodgers are, are super great there either, but 
Um, I, I think I have the Red Sox in seven. I think you could maybe talk me into the Dodgers winning, and I wouldn't argue with you too much. Um, but I'll take I'll take Boston in seven. I think their lineup is just too deep, and when you have the seven, eight, nine hitters just hitting home runs left and right like they did against Houston, it's just so hard, uh, so hard to keep their lineup down for nine innings. So I'll take uh, I'll take the Red Sox in seven. I think it's going to be a fantastic series. Yeah, I just have to argue with any of that. I do think it's going to be a really good series. I kind of wish it was the Astros. I think the Astros are the best team when they happen to lose, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's baseball. That's what happens in baseball is the, the best team doesn't always win, and I would say wins less than you would think in baseball because <laughs> that's just yeah. what happens. Uh, it's, it's definitely more of a coin flip sport than some. Um, I'm going to pick the Dodgers. I'm not sure why. I mean, I, I know they're really good. And I know that they were the one National League team that I would even I would even have thought about picking in the World Series for a while now. And I think even you and I said this on this podcast, like coming into the playoffs, I couldn't imagine another National League team winning the World Series this year. I mean, maybe they maybe, you know, it's baseball games we mentioned before in a short, you know, in a seven game series, maybe the Brewers could have done it or maybe something else could have happened. But I've always thought if it was going to be a National League team, it was going to be the Dodgers. Yeah. And. I stand by that. So I'm going to pick the Dodgers. I'm going to say Dodgers in six. I have very little confidence in that. I think that's probably a situation where Boston should be favored, and they are. Um, they have, you know, they're probably, I don't know. It, it's almost, it's kind of funny. I think the Dodgers are almost deeper, which is kind of weird to say, but they, the Dodgers are so deep, it's kind of scary. So that's my thing. For me, it's pitching. I, I mean, Chris Sale is better than anyone the Dodgers have, including Kershaw at this point. I think I'd rather have Sale. But the rest of Boston's rotation is not great, and their mm-hmm. bullpen's been kind of a disaster this year. Yeah, especially when you factor in that Kimbrel is like suddenly very hittable in, in the in the position. Yeah. yeah, he's humid. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna take the Dodgers um, with limited confidence. But regardless, I'll, I'll be watching. I enjoy baseball, and these are two very very good baseball teams. There's, there were no flukes here. Like they, these were two of the best four teams in the league, and yeah. uh, they're meeting for the World Series. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be, and and hopefully. It gives baseball a chance to really shine, just because of all the star t- the star power. I know I think it was Keith Law who was who was writing that this is what baseball needs. They need superstars in the World Series. They need uh, they need big markets, even though it might not always be as fun when when the big market teams are there. That's kind of what baseball needs. Uh, and all eyes on on basically two of at least in my opinion two of the three most talented teams from a twenty five man roster perspective. Um, yeah, so it, it should be a great week, and um, I, I think I'm. I don't know. I I don't know if there's much rootability with either team. Like, there's not a clear Agreed. underdog. Like, if Milwaukee, <laughs> yeah. if it was Milwaukee, I think everybody would root for Milwaukee because yep. they haven't. They you know they haven't been there in 50 years, and Boston's won a couple of the last few years, and you know the Dodgers they have all the money in the world, and they were there last year, and they've been in the NLCS basically every year for the last half decade, and yeah. So I I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Boston in seven, but I think I'm almost talking myself out of it. So we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll leave it there. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of funny before we before we sign off, which was coming soon. I promise. It is kind of funny that I think every TV executive comment in the world has been made about how great the series is for Fox because they get Boston, the big market, huge brand, and against Los Angeles, the big market, all that fun stuff. But as you mentioned, there really isn't like a casual fan rooting interest here. Like no. I understand these are two massive fan bases. But there isn't the natural storyline that you would want. Like it's two heavy hitters, and that really helps. And that usually, for the most part, brings ratings and interest. And most most sports, including baseball, like you want, you know, even you know, even for March Madness, like everybody loves the Cinderella. But if they're not blue bloods in the Final Four, everybody's mad. You know, um, like people want to people want to watch the big the big names at the end of the day, and ratings are down if they don't have those big names in there. So. It's kind of weird because I, I agree with you. There really isn't that team that I won't be rooting for either team. I don't think in this series mm-hmm. like, I'll be Andrew. enjoying the baseball because we just yeah. like baseball. But yeah, it's yeah. a kind of an indifference. I, I want guys that I like to do well. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a weird spot. So yeah, rooting uh, for good games I think is probably yeah, the best. R- rooting for fun, rooting for fun baseball. Uh, all right, well, Scott, we've we've done enough. We've we've already gone far longer than I thought we were going to because that's what happens when you and I get together on one <laughs> of these forums. But um, please plug yourself and anything, anything you got coming up. I know Talking Shots been very busy and we'll be very busy. We're doing all these uh, player breakdowns from guys who were very irrelevant, like Chris Stewart 
all the way to yeah. the end and Fred Freeman. And so there's you know, every, and every guy in between. Um, but uh, I know you got a lot going on as well. So please tell people they can follow you if they don't already. If somehow people were joining us for the first time, welcome number one and follow Scott and do all that stuff. Yeah, no, we'll have lots of good stuff, especially with all the news as it, as it gets going the next couple of weeks. But uh, as always, just check out the site and Scott Coleman five, five on, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, lots of, lots of fun stuff there. Scott has takes if nothing else. He's not, he's not shy, not shy about what the St. Louis blues, um, the Indianapolis Colts. They won today. They did. Cause they played the worst team in imaginable, but they did. Yeah. They, they, they look good too. Your yeah. Colts look good. And your Sacramento Kings are playing well, by the way, your NBA, oh, your gosh. passionate NBA fanhood <laughs> is back. I have the most random, yeah, the most random collection just cause we moved around a lot when I was a kid, but like the most random <laughs> list of teams that I semi follow and I think of all the least would be the Kings, but they have some good young players. I watched about 10 minutes of their game the other night. I think there was a free uh, NBA league pass. preview, effort. opening weekend, yeah. Over, yeah, I watched, uh, I watched a little bit of their game against, I don't even remember who, I think the Jazz on opening night. and yep. They were doing well, and then they lost. So that was probably my 10 minutes of Kings viewing for the year, but maybe if they're on ESPN or something, I'll catch them at some point. They won today. They look good. So I'll, 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 I'll pass along any King's knowledge that I have to you as a season unwinds. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, for joining me as always, my friend. And uh, we'll do it again very, very soon. Everybody take care. As for everybody else, uh, please subscribe to the podcast, uh, you know, Apple podcasts and SoundCloud and all those places that we are. And uh, if nothing else, we'll have uh, several podcasts over the next couple of weeks. I will be taking a week off at some point. I'm not sure where that's going to be yet. I'm going to time it to where hopefully, not, hopefully there's nothing that happens. But for the most part, every Sunday-ish between now and whenever we'll be here. So please subscribe, do all that fun stuff. We'll see you guys next week.